Guys, this is part two of the episode. If you haven't heard part one yet, what are you doing here? Click on that and listen, and then come back here. For the rest of years, here's part two. Because mm. I agree. I mean, I think competitive is the word, right? It's, yeah, it's incredibly right. competitive. A lot of people want to do it. A lot of people want to write and so on. And that's great, right? Mm. The thing I noticed, I mean, just as somebody that, that read a lot of scripts like, as, and reads a lot of scripts, has read a lot of scripts for people coming in to work on shows and so on. Mm. The things that punch through, and everybody says this, but it's, it's like I found um, when I first got started on MI High, I, I was writing what I thought they want you know, like the funniest yeah. version of what they want, the most version of whatever that show is. Things changed. When I, when I got more confidence, when that kind of imposter thing fades away and you, don't, you start to know what the National Theatre is and you start to know what kind of language they speak <laughs> and all that kind of thing. And there is a bit of that assimilation, you know, trying to figure out, well, how do they all communicate to each other? Um, once you've got that confidence, then you start telling them who you really are. You know, like you start saying, well, I, I, I didn't have a mum and a dad. or I didn't, And yeah. it's news to a lot of them because you yeah. don't find... Many people with those, you know, with your specificity, if you like. And then you start to get to, to bring that to bear in the stories you tell and in the characters you write. And so for me, every show that I've, anything I've been offered in the last three or four years since I kind of developed that confidence, anything that um, I thought of, anything that I watch, the thing that I'm really bewildered by on television mm. and, and in comedy, actually, is this obsession with family. It's this obsession that, 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 that everybody, the family's the gold standard, that everyone must mm. have some kind of family, loving family, this, that, the, just the assumption that it's been that way for everyone when it fucking hasn't. There's millions no. of people that don't have that. Um, and I find that that gets conflated into this kind of middle class thing, right? Where every fucking crime drama, can mm. we swear on this, by the way? Oh, of course, <laughs> can. yeah, go for it, go for it. Yeah, so, but every fucking crime drama, everything you see, these people live in aircraft hangar kitchens, that, you know, they're, they're like fucking alien landscapes, right? And you're like, well, who actually, 99% of people don't live like this. And I think that for me has been a really uh, kind of liberating thing, you know? And I would say, if you can jumpstart that and not do what I did, which yeah. is, is, is uh, you know, wait and wait and wait for someone else to tell you it's okay mm. or someone else to validate you and just say, no, no, this is who I am. I know what it's like to be homeless. I know what it's like to be this or that. I know what it's like to have this done to you. Then people will listen, you know, because uh, it's, that's who you are. That's what you can bring to it, and it's beyond the sort of the competence and the skill, which is mm. the things that you can work on. You can you can totally refine your writing, your storytelling, your your pitching. Mm. Every, I'm sure with uh, st- I don't know anything about stand up comedy. I'm absolutely fascinated by, by what you're saying, <laughs> and, you know. But I, I I think you can refine and you can make the skill set sharper yeah. and better. But what you can't change is who you are. That's and, true. Uh, and so find who you are, figure out who you are and, and use that because that's, that's your best weapon. That's your, that's your point of difference. That's the thing that people are going to care about in the end. Um, that's that's, that, would, that would be the biggest, here end of the lesson. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. You said something about earlier about, um, about, representa- about representation and not being necessarily represented in writers' rooms. Do you think that's changed in any way in recent years? I think, I mean, when I talk about that, what I'm really talking about is, is not um, optical, right? Because I'm, yeah. I'm white, I'm male, there's plenty of white males. I'm talking about my, my, my background. That's the way I feel rather than, 
yeah, yeah, the way I feel rather than the way I look. I definitely think, I mean, no, absolutely. When I started 10 years ago, um, MI High was entirely written by men, you know, white mm. men. Uh, and uh, New Tricks was largely written by men. There were a couple of women. There was a brilliant um, uh, writer called Lisa Holdsworth that was one of the few female writers on it mm. who's now storming away and doing incredible things. Um, and I do, I think it's improving, not, not quickly enough, if I'm honest with you. And I think that, I, I think that what, I, th I think there's this underpinning of like, I can't imagine what it would have been like for me if mm. I had been black as well as, you know, I, I think the, my, my experience is wedded to other points of discrimination or disadvantage. Mm. I cannot imagine the effect that would have. Uh, and I think that that side of it, the economic side of it, you know, mm. the sort of economic architecture of it, holding people back is still something that um, if you're not in London or you can't afford to live in London or one, near one of those centers, I still think it's um, it's unfair and it's rigged in favour of a select few. Having said that, you know, Channel 4 are moving out, uh, or have moved out, I think, um, to the north of England, uh, and that kind of breakup of that nexus has started. And I do think what we're doing right now is, like, amazing, right? Because um, the, the really good side of this is that you, you, anyone can talk to anyone so technically speaking, anyone could be in a writer's room from anywhere because we can do it like this if the Wi-Fi isn't as crap as it is here. <laughs> but it's kind of, but uh, the bad side of this is when uh, when you get like to fly to LA and stuff, when mm. you, you know, which I've done a couple of times now, and you say to they say we're going to go and pitch this in the states. You go, well, it's got to be face to face, man, because the, mm. the old kind of video technology up until two years ago was just dreadful. Now we've got fucking Zoom. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. no, it's fine. You can do it on Zoom. What? <laughs> it's kind of like. Um, so yeah, I do, I do, I think it's improving. Uh, but I don't think it's improving fast enough. I don't know if, if fundamental underlying issues are really addressed. Like, I mm. think that in, in commissioning, there's still too much of um, private relationships powering things, mm. impenetrable private relationships, and there's still too many situations where a commissioner will leave and become a producer, which is kind of fine, but is it fine when they're weaponizing advantages and relationships they already had? Is that mm. fair? I don't know if it'll ever be fair, if it'll ever be a level playing field, but I think there's a lot of things that are being done right now and can continue to be done to make it fairer, for sure. So, uh, the show that you wanted to talk about was um, the show, the 1980s hit, The Young Ones. So, what, what, what did it mean? To, okay, so what, what made you choose that show in particular? Well, it was, it was a direct inspiration for what I, I've just done, you know, this, mm. this show, The Watch, um, because it, and again, it's something that you, you can't always explain why you're obsessed with something, but I think mm. you can pinpoint young ones to a handful of, a handful of very, you know, tangible things. Mm. Um, one of them is that they had music, right? They had bands turning up in the middle of it. I mean, I saw it, it came out in 1982, so I didn't see it when it first came out because I was about six or seven. Yeah. I saw it on a black and white telly when I was about 14, must have been repeated or something. And it, I couldn't believe that like they'd have an episode and then Rick Mayer would look at the camera and go, here's madness. And then madness <laughs> would fucking be it right in the middle of it. And they would play um, our house while there's a riot going on. And then, mm. and there's this great shot of like the, the drummer or someone in madness throwing a brick at the camera. <laughs> and I just thought, what the, f what is this? Like, this is insane. You know, and it would do things like, um, it would do subliminal imagery, like mm. flash cuts, which I spotted. It would do the uh, thing with, um, there would be like the, the fifth housemate. There'd be like someone in the background and they never explained it. Um, it would do just so many weird and volatile things. And it felt like it was, felt like it was going to break television. Like when it mm. suddenly stopped and zoomed into like a plug that, and then the plug speaks and says, don't look at me, I'm irrelevant. 
It just felt like this was made by people that had no respect for convention, no respect for the form, no respect for the medium. And there was something exhilarating about that, you know, particularly if you're, you're somebody who can't see a way forward, can't see a way through, can't see any way you're ever going to get anywhere. So it was a very inspiring show in that sense. Now, it's weird that I looked at it just before we started in on the watch. And by the way, we've, we've ripped off so many of those beats. <laughs> so many of those things. We reference. Of. You've, re you've referenced. Reference. reference that's yeah. the word. You've referenced. Um, but I watched, it, I watched it again. I'll try to watch it again. And, and it's interesting to see that there, you know, it is one of those shows that has not aged well in some respects. Mm. So, for example, um, there are slurs in it, racial slurs, ableist slurs in a couple of mm. episodes. And it's really interesting to look at that and think about that was the, the, the sort of oxygen that we were breathing uh, and, and, and the water we were swimming in. And it went unchallenged and unquestioned, you know. Um, so I think it's a show now that really shows its age in a lot mm. of ways. Um, but the technical aspects of it, the technical aspects of how it was attacking form and medium, uh, I still don't think anyone's done anything that radical, you know. Um, I, still, I still think that's, there's something quite exciting about that. Um, and something that we can, you know, we can all kind of have learned from. What? Because you, you said you'd. Uh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen, I've seen it, and it's not. It's been a little while since I have sat and watched it, but I definitely do agree. Some things haven't aged well, like with most, and I'd say BBC sitcoms. They have, yeah. um, like I watched Forty Towers. I've been rewatching Forty Towers recently. How is that? I think it's it's hilarious. However, right. it's it's there are so there are so many things right there's so many moments i'm stopping and watching it going wow that yeah. is that is really not okay so like basil and um basil and sybil are in an abusive relationship yeah like, if you if you just if you're looking at it from the uh, 2020s eyes this is they're in an abusive relationship and they should not be together at all they may be yeah. love there in inverted commas but they are not suited for each other at all and yeah they should close up shop they should sell, they should um, split the they should split the hotel they should split the hotel or the, the main of the hotel and go their separate ways um yeah. and obviously there's a stuff there's a stuff with um, andrew Sattler, andrew Sattler's character which even though he's phenomenal in the role the way he gets treated because he's spanish is still no, it's yeah. definitely not okay. <laughs> definitely not okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we had to like view these things as relics of the time. As a relics of the time, really. Like the same with the League of Gentlemen and a bit like the Mighty Boosh. There are things in it which are technically amazing and I still will watch them till this day. However, if you're thinking about making something like that today, you'd have to be a lot more careful of what you're saying what you're saying. The thing that interests me <clears throat> is that being the, the disclaimer, like I saw the other day there was this thing about um, fairy tale in New York, right? With the oh, yeah. slur yeah. in fairy tale of New York. Yeah. Um, and which is, you know, defenders, well, actually, the, the loudest people that defend it don't even bother to make much of an argument, do they? They just, no. they're noisy and they're horrible. And, you know, there is a defense saying, oh, it's, it's, it's in context, it's a character, a point mm. in time, and like that. But I did see somebody made a really smart um, statement, um, and I think it was somebody that was affected, uh, mm. you know, would have been personally affected by the slur in that song. Mm. And he said um, that, you know, the slur itself didn't bother him either way, 
But what was bothering him was the reaction from the masses about yeah. the removal of the slur. Yeah. And I think it's the same with these, a lot of these comedies. I think that once the disclaimers go up and you have the choice of whether or not you're going to watch it, it's it, what irks people. And, and let's be honest, it's older white people, mostly by the, <laughs> by the sound of it, you know, is, is the fact that they're being asked to think about it, to yeah. consider it, you know, uh, to reflect upon it, to acknowledge it, that it's yeah. not okay. Uh, so it's, it is actually in a way less about the, the kind of relic as it were, That's and it. more about the reckoning that isn't taking place with the relic with certain mm. people right now, isn't it? I think young ones is, is exactly the same. I think that it's, it's a technical feat that I'm admiring, you know, mm. like it's the technology, the limited technology, the studio bills, everything they did and the anarchy of it. Um, but it isn't something that I would feel comfortable sitting down and putting on, you know, repeat play in the background while I'm doing, you know, which is basically I watch most television now, put it in the background. Yeah. Well, it's terrible, isn't it? But, you know, yeah. um, and I think Forty Towers, I couldn't even imagine watching that. Like, I couldn't imagine watching um, Monty Python now or anything, you know. Um, I, just, I don't want to, you know. I, I sort of, um, I feel like I, I, I kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's an awful lot in there that's going to be extremely uncomfortable and unpleasant. I, I don't necessarily find it, uncomfortable to watch um because i i just i just generally don't but it is i can completely not i can completely acknowledge that this the tough things they were saying and things they were doing were even though they were allowed to get away with it they probably shouldn't have been allowed to get away with it back then yeah but i will say that a lot of the writing around the kind of stuff around those shows is still fantastic and yeah that's the that's kind of the conundrum. That's the kind of the conundrum I'm in because I'm not going to stop watching those kind of shows. However, I've still, yeah, I've still got to acknowledge when I'm not, even though I'm what I've got to acknowledge that there's a lot of things not right with the thing with how well with how the character. What's your um? You you said you're writing. Are you write sitcom or what are you writing? Um, at the moment, I'm at the moment trying to write, well writing sketches at the moment, and I've plotted out a sitcom I have I need to actually get back onto that because that was the first the project of the first lockdown which right didn't, didn't completely come to right. fruition but what my plan is for next year is actually go to some sitcom writing courses and right. actually get some ideas from people who are who are properly in that who are properly in that games so I I've spoken to a few people and I do have a couple of ideas about how I want, what I want to write about. It's just about, you know, getting the ideas out, well, getting the ideas out there. But the issue that I, I don't know if you had this, but I do get a lot of emails from um, people from a specific, well, what was it called? The comedy, I can't remember what it's called. It's something like the Comedy House or whatever. And they have a lot of competitions and a lot of um, writing competitions for things like Viacom and Nickelodeon and stuff. But when I've actually gone into it, when I've done a little bit deeper, they don't want any new ideas. They want you to write for their, they want you to write for their shows that are already got, that are already going. And I find that a little bit more, I find that a little bit more of a challenge than actually going in and pitching my own idea, if that makes right. sense. So you, you kind of want to originate stuff uh, straight away. You want to, you want to write your own original material rather than, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, it's interesting that because I, I respect that completely. Mm. And I think that that's, uh, there's an energy and an integrity to that, that I think will get you a long way. Yeah. 
a lot of people do try to do that, do that, and and, and keep the, and then try and gain experience on things simultaneously. And that mm. that in my experience has been the most successful strategy yeah. for lots and lots of people. On the other hand, you know there are every week somebody is announced they've sold a show, they've sold sold a pilot, mm. you know, never done uh, made anything before or whatever. So I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. No, uh, I think if that's and that's what you believe in, then mm. I think you've got to do it that way, you know. Uh, and uh, so, but I, I'm going to come see your show. I definitely yes. now, now, now that we've met. Yeah, so. Now that we've met, yes. Um, here's the, the thing with the comedy thing at the moment is I don't know when. No one knows when it's going to start back up again. No. But as soon as it does, so I'm still I'm a part of some relatively medium, medium to big conversations at the moment. Great. It's just about when and how things are going to look in 2021. So I think that's the... What's your thinking on that? What's your thinking on that? I want to hear what your opinion on that is. What do you think? Um, I think audiences are going to want to come back as soon, I agree. As, you, as, soon as, you, as soon as you say, we're doing this, audiences are going to want to come back because they, they're just kind of... A lot of people are just... They're, they're fearful, but they don't live their life in fear, if that makes sense. And I'm, can't, and I'm, pre, and I'm kind of in that boat. So I think everyone is ready to come back. It's just that whenever and however we're allowed and for however long. And that's the real question. For however long are we going to be allowed to, are we going to be stopping and starting the lockdown thing? Right. Who, who knows? Who knows? So basically I'm just trying to take every opportunity that comes when it comes to comedy. And I think that's why I'm starting right now to get more into my writing. In fact, Good. I'm actually, um, I've actually started an application for a staff writing for a staff writing job for a company which will remain which will remain nameless at this point. Um, but yeah, we'll see how that goes. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh man, I wish you all the best of luck with that. Seriously, and um, we should stay in touch, right? Please After do. This, we should. Yeah, I'll I'll get you my email. I th- actually, I've got your email, so I'll email you. There you go. Yeah. I'll email you after this. And say hey. Please do. Um, yeah. Cool. Hey. Thank you so much, man. Um, Thank you. Where can people find you, Simon? Uh, (laughs) I'm not really on... I've got a social media handle. I don't really do a lot on it. So I'm on Twitter at Mr. Simon Allen. And Mm -hmm. actually, we'll talk about uh, Twitter, actually. And um, and I'm on Instagram at Mr. Simon Allen. So um, I do post more stuff on Instagram, probably, as and when I I kind of think about it. I keep it as a kind of journal. Mm -hmm. But lately, I've basically... If I were to do it now, it would just be the fridge... Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. The bar for it, you're like no one wants to see that shit. What do you? Are you on Twitter? Are you? Are you? I'm um, on Twitter. Yeah, so it's Kyle Wolf Comedy. All one. All okay, one I'll, I will give you a follow after this. But what's? Um, I mean, do you use it? Does it useful? What do you? You know, I. It, it's an interesting thing because I, I do sort of I do use it and I do write whatever my thoughts and feelings are on there, but <laughs> the danger. Wow, I know, right. <laughs> But the danger, but what I'm trying not to do is post any material on there at all. Post any material on there at all because I think right. that's the danger of what a lot of comics get in, get into. They post their stuff on social media to see if it gets a reaction instead of doing it in front of an actual live crowd. I mean, I know at the moment we can't get live crowds, but yeah, I'm trying to save things for when they do come back. But yeah, I did do post think- in there quite a bit. Do you think people try to be provocative deliberately to try and get? You talked about trying to get a reaction. Is that what? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I do that. I'm not going to lie right. to you. I, I've done that. And um, whenever you post something, you want a reaction from people. So yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, 
I don't, I'm not going to say that they don't necessarily believe what they're posting, but I think it's a heightened version of themselves, just like whenever... I get, see, I get that. I get the idea of using it as a tactic for disruption, for attention, you know, as part of trying to build an identity as a comic in a different space. What I find weird about it is, because um, I've been on it for like... Um, eight years and I don't I genuinely don't go on very much and it really just started for me because I, I think Musketeers went out and there, there were a few there were a small group of fans mostly mums actually who really liked <laughs> the boys and um, they and they're lovely they're really really lovely and they followed me and it was just a way of and so I thought oh, I'll go on and I'll talk to them and they were all absolutely not lovely apart from one incident where um, somebody made a remark and I, I'd made the fatal mistake of like responding. Oh no. Um, and I think, what, what did I do? Oh, I, I, I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want to open a can of worms, but it was a really offensive remark towards a member of the cast. Mm. And I, I wasn't sure that the reporting tools were there at that point, you know, to kind of go, this is not okay. What's just been said about this human being. Mm. So what I did was I, <laughs> I was, I think I've been posting up, this was years ago, but I'd be posting like pictures of the writer's room and I was, because I was taking it all down because we'd like finished. Mm. So I just, I thought, well, fuck it. I'll write a note. She, she responded to so just <laughs> go fuck yourself, right? And put it up on Twitter thinking, and of course the problem is that nobody had seen the kind of build, nobody knew the history of this mm. woman's, um, I'll call it racism yeah. towards a member of the cast. Nobody knew that the number of kind of slurs and slights and, sh and the amount of shade she'd thrown against this person was absolutely coming from a, an awful place. And, and my kind of petulant kind of like, fuck you, fuck off, you know, mm -hmm. da, 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 which was all about, I thought, a response to that and quite an aggressive one because I've got lots of eyeballs like looking at this thing. It didn't go that way. Nobody mm -hmm. came in and went, yeah, Simon, well done, because I hadn't called it out for what it was openly, right? So what happened was she took it, she took the picture, and she sent it to like all the showrunners in America. And we're like, would you tell your fans to fuck oh, off like this? Oh. And most of them ignored it, right? Because most of them like, it's just crackpot fucking stuff, right? But somebody did go, one guy did go, God, that's terrible. And I, and I oh. thought, God, you can't, you can't hang on to justice, can you? You can't, no. even if you're, you can't control the narrative. And I think from that point, I think, I think there's a lot of people that use it really, really well and really smartly. But I just, but there's a lot of, um, false narratives that get propagated and a lot mm. of carefully manicured kind of personality. It's not truth. Right. And I've, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm somebody that quite likes truth. It's important to me, mm. uh, probably coming from, you know, childhood. And so I struggle with that. I struggle with seeing bad guys get away with it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think if I was on Twitter, I'd get banned from Twitter <laughs> like, in five minutes. Cause I'd like in, just literally call people out, put the emails I've got up there and it'd be done, you know, um, so I, I, yeah, I find it a difficult space to be in, but I, you know, occasionally I like something, retweet something. I generally support other people that I like or admire on there than, you know, but Instagram, if we ever get out of this, I'll, I'll, I'll be putting more stuff up on the Instagram. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Simon. It's oh, been man, absolutely pleasure. a pleasure talking to you.